Thank you for traveling with Amex Platinum. To your right, you'll see Oceanside Relaxation at a fine hotel and resort property. When booked through Amex Travel, you can enjoy complimentary breakfast for 2 and 4 p.m. late checkout. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. The best conversations I have with my colleagues are the ones that happen when no one is looking, when we're not 100% sure yet what to write. Hopefully, having conversations like this can help you figure out your own point of view. That's kind of our job as Washington Post opinions columnists. I'm Charles Lane, Deputy Opinion Editor. And I'm Amanda Ripley, a contributing columnist. We're going to bring you into these conversations on a new podcast called Impromptu. Follow Impromptu now, wherever you listen. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. What up? It's the Crossover Pod Friday edition. I'm Howard Beck, senior writer for Sports Illustrated. Back from a brief hiatus, took the Friday edition off last week for New Year's, but we're back Happy New Year, everyone. And yes, that's officially the last one. We're at the end of the first week of January. No more Happy New Year's after today. I'm closing the door. Uh, Back today with a phenomenal guest. He is Seth Partnow, uh, one of the smartest basketball writers I know, especially in the area of advanced stats. You know his work from The Athletic. He also spent three years as director of basketball research for the Milwaukee Bucks. Seth's got a new book out. It's phenomenal. It's called The Mid-Range Theory, Basketball's Evolution in the Age of Analytics. This is not a textbook. You don't need a degree in stats or need to know calculus. You don't need to know how to read actuarial tables. Uh, I don't know any of that stuff, and I was able to read the book, and it was very uh, informative and breezy and useful. You will learn a lot about analytics, of course, but also just about basketball period, some conventional wisdom smashing and, and other things. Uh, it's, it's great. Um, we're still pretty early in this, this analytics era of the NBA. And so a lot of us still learning how to best use all this new data. So I asked Seth for some guidelines, the three stats we should all be using, the three stats we should just banish from our debates and the three biggest misconceptions about analytics. It's a super fun discussion. A lot of other, uh, great stuff along the way. Before we get to that quick reminder, please rate, review, and subscribe to The Crossover wherever you get your podcasts. Check out the YouTube version. Just search Sports Illustrated Podcasts. And of course, hit me with all your feedback on Twitter at Howard Beck. Okay, my conversation with Seth Partnow is coming up, so stick around. This is The Crossover, an NBA show hosted by Sports Illustrated's Chris Mannix and Howard Back. It's a whole new level for you and me, Chris, this relationship. Like and subscribe for the best weekly NBA content these two are capable of. What does that mean? Could be the best duo ever. I don't see how you can beat that. Here they are, Chris Mannix and Howard Back. 
Now, very pleased to be joined by Seth Partnow, although on Twitter, better known as Anchorage Man. Anchorage Man, welcome. How are you, sir? I am doing well. I am I'm in Milwaukee, not, not in Anchorage, but uh, I, I, I still have to uh, shout out the homeland whenever I can. Uh, there was a story you told me years ago when we were hanging out in Milwaukee about why you were Anchorage Man, and now I can't even remember what it was, but I remember it being at least uh, a little bit amusing. Should we fill in the listeners oh. on why you are Anchorage Man? On so I'm, I'm originally from Anchorage, Alaska, and I, I, I moved away for college and moved back, but when I got the job with the Milwaukee Bucks, I, I was moving, and... Uh, the local paper in Anchorage did a did a feature story on me because you know local boy ma- makes good kind of thing, and the headline was Anchorage man, dot 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 dot, and and I heard kind of through the grapevine that the pa- the editor of the paper was very angry about this because like we look like the damn onion with you know like area man, <laughs> so um, and then and then like I had then the the unfortunate part was about a week later there was a headline in the metro section that was. Uh, Anchorage man kills wife, child, self. So I had kind of a week oh, of 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 startup, and then it all all came crashing down. But Entirely, Anchorage man still, yeah, entirely different Anchorage man. Yes. <laughs> um. Yeah, that's unfortunate. Um. Well, I'm glad uh, this Anchorage man is joining us on on the pod today. Uh, the book's been out for a little while now. The mid range theory. Hope everybody got it in their uh, stockings under their trees for Christmas. Um. But uh, as you noted. On Twitter, shortly before we started recording, um, eventually there'll be a paperback edition. And you said this season's giving you great, here's what I was wrong about last time material. So before we jump into the book and a bunch of other things about stats and analytics, a term that you hate, um, I, I, I'm curious, like anything you could tell us that like this season, because we are in the midst of you know year three of weird seasons that maybe smash all of our expectations and, and what we thought we understood. So if there's going to be stuff in the paperback version about what you were wrong about because of this season, what has this season already smacked you upside the head about? Well, the biggest one is kind of in the intro to the book. I was like, eh, you know what? I've, I've tried to focus on stats kind of through 1920 because I think we're going to look back and say 2021 was weird. But starting you know, this coming season, we're going to get back to some normal NBA. And now we have kind of this, these, these, this sort of rolling 10 days that um, – while the game environment is like closer to normal, the game rosters aren't. So that's the that's the obvious one. Uh, in on a in terms of substance, um, you know, there's one of the chapters that I, I kind of choose to contrast uh, Jimmy Butler and Demar Derozan in terms of guys with kind of similar stats but kind of very different impacts. And now Demar Derozan is is pro- possibly probably a first team All NBA player this year. So, oops. <laughs> uh, that's uh, like in, in, that's the substantively the 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 big thing that that um that that I they'll have some explaining to do about I think there was a lot of uh, or has been recently a lot of sneering from the you know whether Bulls fans or or DeRozan uh, DeRozan loyalists or maybe the we love DeRozan because he's the mid range guy and he's he's the avatar of all the things that the analytics guys hate and, and and that was partially in response to I think the idea that when DeRozan was signed a lot of people were sneering at the signing um, and I think that that was viewed as being well the analytics guys don't like the DeRozan signing. So now that DeRozan is, as you say, probably all NBA right now, uh, were you in that camp of people who were uh, bagging on the Bulls for the signing? And, and what do we make of DeRozan's... Uh, it's not a sudden leap. Like, he's doing a lot of things he's always done, but he seems to be doing them at a higher level. What do we What do we make of, of that? 
Um, so I think that the that the sort of consensus position from kind of the the statistically minded community was that DeRozan would make the Bulls better, but not by enough to justify you know the trading of the of, of picks and the contract they gave him and stuff like that. Um, he's been like if he if he plays like this for you know the first couple three years of that contract, um, it, it's easily massively justified to to give what they did and. Um, in terms of why that's happened, in terms of he's doing kind of DeRozan things, as you say, it's it's they sort of seem to have found a formula that lets him express his best qualities while limiting his his sort of uh, most worrisome aspects. I mean, he's never been a great defensive player, uh, and you know him he's essentially playing the four this year. Um, certainly, once Patrick Williams went down. Um, and that would be, that's that's kind of terrifying. It's like ooh, Demar Derozan guarding power forwards, but they've been so good with this five out system that you can't play a power forward against them. So he gets to guard, you know, third and fourth wings while Lonzo Ball and Alex Caruso guard the like the other team's primary ball handler types. So it's it's you've almost hidden the part that's bad. Now he can use his athleticism and get his hands on balls and stuff like that. And on offense, he's just been you know with the spaced floor around him, he's. He is he's almost um the perfect epitome of of you know the the mid-range theory the the chapter title of the book where all that space that's created by you know Vucevic playing outside the arc and Levine and Caruso and Ball spacing he now has he can get to these open spots at 15 feet from the basket and either score or find somebody else or if there if no help comes gets all the way get all the way to the basket so it's it's almost uh a perfect proof of concept as to as far as how and why the the kind of the shot selection of the NBA has changed. Well, and we'll get into some of this uh, throughout the, our discussion here, but I mean, I, I want to jump right in actually just on this part of it, which is that um, the backlash to what we would loosely call the analytics movement, if we can even call it that, has been that oh, you know, analytics guys, you know, they're ruining the game. They don't want anybody to shoot mid range shots and long twos and this and that, and now the post ups are gone. Um, and that a guy like DeRozan is kind of like this this ultimate retort, and especially because of the success he's now having with the Bulls, or that the Bulls are having with him is the better way to put it. Um, but that feeds into some of the, I, the misconceptions, I would say, about what people in your line of work were kind of promoting in the first place. And I feel like, Seth, we've reached a stage in our collective NBA discussion, maybe it's a hashtag NBA Twitter discussion, which automatically makes it fraught because NBA Twitter can get a little off the rails. Um, but where it's just become this kind of stupidly polarizing to the point where you're either an analytics guy or you're old school, and it's often players and former players um, who are uh, railing against guys like you or the or what they think you stand for. So let's actually just, just start there. Because you, you titled the book The Mid-Range Theory, which felt frankly a little bit like a troll job uh, on your part um <laughs> it was uh, it, to, it, to be clear it was it was actually a it more it was a little bit tongue in cheek and and uh, and yes there's a element of tongue in cheek is trolling but, but it was actually more of a tribe called quest homage like one of my early first favorite albums is the low end theory and so uh back when we were founding the nylon calculus blog you know 
in ancient history, seven or eight years ago, um, uh, the mid-range theory was like the second place name for 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 that for the uh, the, the blog, and so I kind of kept that in my back pocket. And you know, with sort of the with the addition of that sort of uh, well, the playfulness of that, that you're alluding to, I think it made it made a uh, a title I was very happy with for the book. So is DeRozan the ultimate retort to the nerds like you that were saying nobody should shoot mid-range shots anymore? Because obviously that's what you've spent all these years doing is trying to eliminate that entire area of the floor uh, because three-pointers are more fun. I mean, it, it, I think the thing we'd say is dunks are our most fun at all. Like the yeah. best offense imaginable is you just dunk the ball every time on the floor. But like you can't do that because the other team is playing defense. Um, I So if we're talking about misconceptions of analytics there's kind of the 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 general and the specific um the general is more that it is a um an idea an ideology rather than a methodology um the you know the 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 advice to shift certain types of long mid-range shots to three-pointers isn't isn't a theoretical one it's an empirical one based on you know study of seasons and seasons of NBA play and where players have made shots from it at given rates. And it's not particularly close that, you know, uh, a catch and shoot 24 footer is worth significantly more than a catch and shoot 20 footer. It just, it's, it's, um, you know, any way you slice it, controlling for who's taking it, anything, it's one of them is a massively more efficient shot than the other before we even get into kind of, uh, the 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 secondary effects of, like improved transition defense or uh, creating more space for your star players. So it, uh, I think I've I've kind of fit two misconceptions into one there. But it's it's not uh, the, the the main point I want to make there is it's not like we just decided these things are are things we want to advocate for. It's it's they came from study and study of the conditions of the game itself. If the rules changed, if the three-point line was suddenly moved back to 35 feet, I don't think you would you would see um, the analysts like advocating you know bombing threes because you know at that range it's, it, it is no longer a, a more efficient shot than than you know a 15 footer or something like that. Yeah, and you know the important thing to note here too, and. Um this this has come up along the way and people ignore kind of the details and the nuance here but you know it wasn't so much that no one should ever take mid-range shots or it's it's mostly about the long twos more so than uh twos in other areas of the floor or short you know shorter range twos and twos in, in the paint whatever um but it's 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 the deeper mid-range it's the long twos and uh this is in a piece recently by Zach Cram at the Ringer just the idea that what has actually happened in recent years is that uh, there's a higher efficiency, I think, now league-wide on the long twos because the only guys taking them are the guys who are good at it. And so what has actually happened is we have a better game. Like, the guys who should never have been taking long twos in the first place, who were not good at them, have essentially, I don't want to say stopped taking them, but they don't take them very often anymore. And so when people say, oh, see, Kevin Durant can take two, Yes, because Kevin Durant's good at it. You do want Kevin Durant taking those shots. Um, you do want DeMar DeRozan taking those shots. There are guys who are great at that. So now the bet the players who are best suited to take the long twos are the ones taking them, and so to the extent that analytics has actually helped the game, and that people's you know conceptions or misconceptions of this um, have a real uh, or that there's a there is a reality here. The reality is the league is now more efficient. 
some of the bad shots are yeah. are are gone or dwindling. So, I mean, I think you mentioned some players. I did a I did a piece a couple of years ago on on Devin Booker, and in that piece, he had a quote something like that. You know, analytics are great; they're for other players or something like that, or they're for lesser players. And you know, that's 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 right, basically. Like the the um, the. I, I said earlier about certain long twos, and it's not just the, the, the long twos. It's who's taking them and what kind of shots they're taking. Um, just to, to, to get a little kind of theoretical, like a, a catch-and-shoot shot, something good has happened on offense so that someone is open enough that they can catch the ball and then shoot it immediately. Um, now, obviously, there's some, sometimes the, there's, you're open for a reason. But for the most part, a catch and shoot shot means something good has happened. Why would you not want that to be like winning the possession to be worth as much as possible? And so, yeah, that one step back makes it instead of being worth, you know, for most NBA players, that's a mid 40s shot, catch and shoot long two turns into a high 30s three pointer. I mean, it's that the math is is pretty straightforward. Um, And so. Getting the the sort of the the lesser players, the non-ball dominant players, the non-creative players to stand or 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 move to more efficient spots on the floor—that's really what's happened. And so now the players who are responsible for creating those open shots, for progressing the ball towards the basket, drawing second defenders—all those things that make an offense go—those are the players who are who are now with the ball in those mid-range areas, and sometimes you know. Either to keep the defense honest or because the shot clock is running out or, or what have you. Like sometimes that's the shot you end up with against a good defense. And you'd rather, you know, you'd rather Zach Levine than Alex Caruso take that shot for, I think, obvious reasons. And those are the players who are taking those shots. And incidentally, they're taking them at about the same rate as they always have. It's just the, it's, it's the, it's the, you know, the pick and pop 17 footer is now a pick and pop three pointer. It's the same type of same class of players taking that. That's the shot that's moved, not the break a guy down, pull up at the elbow. Yeah. No. So to that point, one quick stat I wanted to cite from Zach Cram's piece of the ringer. Uh, he says shots at the rim and in short mid range areas have stayed relatively consistent, meaning the rise in three pointers, which is now the most common shot type in the league, has come entirely at the expense of long mid range shots, which have fallen from 30% of all attempts in 2004 to 10% this season. So, Folks, like you should celebrate this. Like this is this is the this is the positive effect of analytics and 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 teams thinking this way and incorporating it because bad shots that you do not want your team taking, the ones that would make you wring your hands and throw shit at your TV, those have gone away in favor of three pointers. Um, it's not all mid range. It's just it's mostly the long mid range, the stuff just inside the arc that has now been swapped out for three point tries. Um, I, I can't see how that's a bad thing. <laughs> I, well, I do think that so we do have to take kind of the aesthetic um, critique seriously. I do think that misdescribing it by just saying, "Oh, it's the it's the mid range game is gone." No, because when people think of the mid range, it's not Zadrinus Agalskis shooting from the top of the key. That's not the mid range game that is in people's mind's eye. It's it's Chris Paul getting to the elbow. It's yeah. it, you know like and that's 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 same as it ever was. I mean. Um, you know, yes, the post up has has declined, but I think that's as much about rule changes and and differing skills of players as it is is analytics. You know, like Zion Williamson, you know, when healthy, uh, is a massively effective player because he gets the ball right at the basket, 
And that's, you know, you put Shaq in the modern game, he's going to get the ball and get himself right to the basket and be very efficient. That's great. There just aren't a lot of players who can do that, like perhaps Joel Embiid aside, in sort of against modern defenses with the modern illegal defense rule, frankly. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. The 2024 presidential campaign features two candidates who are very well known to Americans. And yet, there's complexity at every turn. Criminal trials for one of those candidates. Young voters who are angry. The Campaign Moment podcast from The Washington Post gives you what matters. I'm Aaron Blake, and I'm covering my 10th election cycle. My colleagues and I have insights that you won't find anywhere else. So follow the Campaign Moment right now, wherever you're listening. So I had a, uh, some some things I want to jump into because this is the three-point era. I've got a list of threes. And besides that, uh, reporters love threes. Writers love threes. We love series of threes. We love lists of threes. Um, it's my favorite number. Um, but actually I want to hit one more thing before we get to that one more, just kind of topical thing. Uh, you had highlighted early in the season when people were doing a lot of hand wringing over offenses being, uh, down or offensive efficiency scoring being down, that this is something that happens every season. It's, it's normal. Um, plus we're just in a weird, again, very strange era and season to season. It's been hard to track things. As we sit here near the mathematical midpoint-ish of the season, has have things kind of uh, leveled off? Are we back to more or less normal now that we have we have fans in most buildings everywhere except for Toronto at the moment, and this is a semblance of a normal season? Are we back to a normal NBA statistically? Um, I mean, normal is sort of a loaded word, but I think <laughs> no. I, but I, as I said at the, the start, you know, the thing that I was uh, that I was. I was sort of half right and half wrong about saying that we're going to think that, you know, uh, 2021 was a, was a weird season. Um, I think we're, we are going to see that that's going to look like from an offensive standpoint, that's going to look like the outlier. And we are kind of back in sort of what had been the normal range. Um, you know, three point shooting was way down to start the season. It's now it's, it's slightly lower than kind of the normal range. Normal range is, you know, 35 in the mid in the mid thirty fives usually and it's and it's just under thirty five percent so far this year. But it's as tends to happen, it's trended up over the season. Um so we're we're kind of back in the the you know, whether it was the shooting environment of the fanless games or what have you that led to last season being so offensively explosive, as well as the um ease uh which some players could draw free throws that has has been largely legislated out this year. Um, I think those things, by and large, have mean that this is a it is a slightly lower offense environment than last year, specifically last year. But it's much it's it's much similar to like the couple of years before, where I think we're at a, a pretty good balance between offense and defense. One last piece I want to hit before we get to the other yeah. the fun stuff. Um, I wondered at the end of last season, and I wrote about this for SI, about the idea that last season might not be a season that teams could 
learn much from going forward, um, at least statistically. That you know, in, in, in fanless arenas, you were going to have outliers. Some guys might shoot better than they ever had. Some guys might not shoot as well or, or perform as well because maybe some guys draw energy from the crowd. Who knows? Who knows how to interpret any of that? But one of the things I cited even then was, and this is not to pick on the Knicks, but like R.J. Barrett had uh, a breakout season from three. Julius Randle, after, you know, in his seventh season, suddenly became a 40% three-point shooter. And those were things that I really wondered, and they're not the only ones, they're guys across the league. Now, again, we're midway through a normalish season after a very abnormal one. Is it too soon to conclude that guys like Randall, Barrett, maybe some others around the league who had breakout shooting seasons, that it was a product of environment and that now that things are back to fans and arenas, that that uh, the regression to the mean is is more the reality. Um, so two things going on here. One, like anytime a player has a career year, the, they're more likely than not going to kind of slide back a little bit the next year. It's just kind of the nature of things. Um, I don't think it's universal, though, that the players who had these kind of a big apparent steps forward last year have have all slid back. I mean, again, another player that you would have worried about that who had had kind of a uh, 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 discontinuous with the rest of his career level of efficiency last year was Zach Levine. And he's kind of continued kind of now. Now, some of that is, is I think he's he is playing in a in a much healthier offensive ecosystem. Now with this with this Bulls team, this the, you know one of the more, the more fun and dynamic offenses in the league with the personnel they have, so that's probably helped keep him at that level. But but he's someone who is you know he's continued to make shots at a high rate, so um, it's not universal. But I, but it is something you did worry about for guys who had great shooting years last year, um, or you know it's, frankly guys who did did so in the bubble. I mean I think it's been noted a number of times that Anthony Davis has never shot the ball consistently as well any at any other point in his career as he did in in like the both the the regular season portion and then the playoff portion of the of the Orlando bubble uh, to finish the previous season so yeah you you you're it's a concern but I don't think it's something that has been universally observable I guess the uh, the more to the point question, since I uh, am broadcasting here from New York, is how much should Knicks fans be worried about Julius Randle and R.J. Barrett's regression? Uh, I mean, I think you have to be more worried about Randle um, simply because they 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 th- they thought they were adding pieces, and I think you know they did add pieces, uh, whether it's Kemba Walker playing or not, but even Evan Fournier to make. The offense less reliant on Julius Randle making tough shots, um, and he hasn't really found a way to not take as many tough shots this year. So, um, if you are reliant on tough shot making, you're sort of at the mercy of having some pretty horrible slumps because there's no there's no easy buckets coming if you're if everything you're doing is a pull up off the dribble. Um, all right, so to the list of threes. Uh, Threes are fun. Three-pointers are fun. Lists of threes are fun. We have hit this a little bit, but uh, I'll, I'll, I'll throw this out there again. The three greatest myths or misconceptions about, quote-unquote, analytics. Again, a term that Seth Partnow hates. Yeah. Uh, the, the, I mean, the biggest one is that analytics is just shoot threes. Um, I think that, again... Uh, as I said earlier, like I, you know, what the, I would really hope you would just dunk every time. Like that would be the, that would be awesome. Um, it's just 
threes tend to tend to have been un- unlocked the ability to get better shots for a while. And um, we've, we've kind of reached the end, as Zach Cram pointed out in his piece, we've kind of reached the end of the stage where just by shooting threes, you can gain an advantage because everyone's kind of caught up. Um, the second one is that, uh, it, that it's, it's um, an arrogant discipline. It's actually a very, uh, it's characterized, done well, much more by sort of doubt and uncertainty. Um, you know, when you when you're when you're analyzing players, you you have to build in the fact that you know the players change over time. They uh, they they shoot better, they shoot worse, they play better, they play worse. They're hurt or healthy or in better shape or not. And so we're we're I don't want to say we're guessing, but we're estimating and we're trying to kind of have a range of what could happen. And constantly update our thought of what that range is based on new information. So that's that's far from thinking I know I know the answer. I know exactly what this guy's worth. Then I have a pretty good idea. This is about what's going on, but I could be wrong. And and that's that that that's that's a much more sort of as arrogant as as you know us know it all engineering types can be. Um, it's really the, the the discipline itself is rooted in in, in a little bit more humility than than that's that's uh, given credit for, um, and I guess hmm, the third one I, I I guess is I think I, I touched on it earlier is that it's 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 empirical and. The prescriptions from it should change as the conditions on the ground change, as the rules change, as the players on a team change, as the the the, the style and skill of the NBA changes, rather than a a you know a set of maxims that is you know written in a book somewhere, and any deviation from this is uh, is anathema and 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 should be castigated. Um, so I think those are the three biggest misconceptions. I guess I would uh, yeah. I would lay out there. That's a good list. Oh, I, and you know, look, worth noting that um, analytics as a term is obviously related to analysis. This is data analysis, and analysis is about processing the the data that you can find, interpreting it. It's not about feeling you have you know all the answers. It's a search for answers. That's what it, an, <laughs> analysis it's, is. And, and when it comes to arrogance, by the way, I've been around this game for twenty five years. Uh, you can find plenty of arrogance among the quote unquote old school eye test scouts, GMs, basketball like that. that that's not any particular uh, dom- domain of anybody. That's that's you know any everybody's an expert in this league, and every you know you you can find the full range of uh, of, of egos and arrogance, um, and 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 plenty of people who do not espouse any of that, who are very open minded and uh, and open to new ideas. Yeah, um, there's there's so there's a um, I'm I'm going to misquote it a little bit, but I think that there's a lot of the backlash. I think is. Driven by players and and uh, Kyle Body, who's a friend of mine, runs Driveline Baseball, um, which is a, a a baseball training facility just outside of Seattle that's had a lot of success with with very statistically and evidence based training methods. Uh, he was also the head of pitching development for the Reds for a couple seasons. He he uh, had a Twitter thread the other day where where he he said there's basically two reasons um, for uh, um, why players have you know this, a bad perception of analytics one is that it's been sort of presented to them by you know low feel 
analysts, people who speak in numbers and not in basketball and, and, and say, and, and approach it with, you should really be doing this other thing and, 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 and coming that way. And, you know, communicating the insights from analytics is, is, is very difficult and done poorly. It's, it's counterproductive. And the, the second is that their, their perception of analytics is driven by, um, bad representations in the media, which unfortunately, uh, very much overwhelm good uh, representations, and that's even from people who are, um, I think, I would, I would say, uh, analytically, uh, analytics positive or at least analytics curious, often do a, a poor job presenting it in ways that make it. Uh, that doesn't make any sense. That doesn't match my lived experience of of playing in the NBA. So no, this is wrong. Um, and so those are the two main kind of pathways that lead to. Sort of this this almost visceral rejection of 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 the discipline from you know traditionalists. Uh, that's a good segue to my next uh, list of three, which uh, because it involves us, the media and fans. Um, you know, we're pretty deep into this era of having all these new stats are at our disposal. We've got Basketball Reference and the NBA.com stats site has a, a lot of stuff. There's a, you know, we have tracking data. We have all kinds of other sites um, that provide a wealth, maybe an overload. I would say not maybe an overload. It is a it is an overload um, <laughs> of of ways to interpret the game, rank players, rank teams. Um, so let's try to to. I want to make the listeners smarter, and I want a, a cheat sheet here. Give me three stats that we, the media and fans, should never use. And maybe because they're abused, like let's let's weed out some stuff that is just making us uh, uh, objectively stupid by using them. Three stats we should just banish. Um, so the first two are, um, and this is sort of a hobby horse of mine, are individual offensive and defensive ratings. Um, you know, for for people who aren't like offensive rating is just you know points scored or points allowed per hundred possession. So you what you when you can say okay when this player is on the floor. Uh, the 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 team has scored or allowed this many points per 100. What happens is that gets interpreted not as this is the points per 100 that happened while this player is on the floor. This is something that's intrinsic to the player. He has a rating of of you know 100.5 or 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 you know so, something else, and that's and that has a way of almost uh, either intentionally or not. It's 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 implying causation. It's this not just that this happened while the player on the floor, but this player is is why this happened while he's on the floor, and that leads to some really sort of bad analysis. Well, their defense is six points per hundred better when this player is off the floor, so he must suck at defense. It's like, well, who's he playing with? Like, if if, if you play on the Jazz and most of your minutes come when Rudy Gobert's on the bench, yeah, the defense is going to be better when you're off the floor because Rudy Gobert's on the floor, and you know that's kind of the most important part of their defense. So that's that's one, um, and and relatedly, I think this happens especially on defense because we we know defense is important. We know it's hard to measure, so we kind of well, this is a number. Um, it measures something, so we'll use it. And there's a lot of them that are sort of not really representative of anything. Um, sort of one stat on on the team level, and it's not something I would say never use. But I would say never use it almost as saying they have done this well is opponent three-point percentage. Um, 
teams can guard the arc better or worse than the other, but the range that the NBA sort of operates on is pretty narrow, especially relative to the spread in that, that teams actually shoot. So in terms of like, you know, you can build, you can, you know, do some fancy models that, you know, come up with the expected accuracy on shots. And there's maybe a one or two point difference in three point percentage between the best and worst teams in terms of kind of the average shot the opponent gets. Most years, there's about an eight or 10 point difference between, you know, the highest percentage allowed and the lowest percentage allowed. So like just kind of the, the sort of the, 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 for lack of a better term, luck of it being a make or miss league is a four times larger, about a four times larger factor in that than, you know, something that's, that's something observably different about a team's defensive process. So, well, you might, you might say this is what happened again, saying this team is good or bad at defending the arc because opponents are shooting this percentage is something that, that kind of makes me cringe. Um, <coughs> Excuse me. Um, and the last one is relatedly is sort of individual players shot like like field goal percentage allowed. Um, that's it's the same thing as as the team in that it's just sort of I happen to be standing there when the guy made or missed a jump shot, and it it, it that's really a lot of what it's telling us. Um, now there's a subset of that like shots near the rim. Um, I think are, are, are tend to be pretty stable. The guys who defend the rim well, your you know your 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 Gobert's, your your Giannis's, whoever. Like yes, people always shoot poorly at the rim when those guys are there, and the lesser rim protectors. You know, um, when he was a, a full time starting player, Kevin Love was always like, you know, on the low end of this. Um, it's something when you know Montrez Harrell playing center was always a problem because he allowed a high percentage at the rim. That's something that tends to be persistent. So that 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 tells you something about the player, but like what opponents have shot on jump shots with the player like nearest tells us basically nothing about that player's defense. Hmm. Um, but it's it's something that gets cited as a he's playing much better defense this year because opponents are shooting ten points worse than they were a year ago. It's like, well, the, the coin landed heads this year is is basically <laughs> what that means. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. There's a lot happening these days, but I have just the thing to get you up to speed on what matters without taking too much of your time. The 7 from the Washington Post is a podcast that gives you the seven most important and interesting stories, and we always try to save room for something fun. You get it all in about seven minutes or less. I'm Hannah Jewell. I'll get you caught up with The 7 every weekday. So follow The 7 right now. Well, this is this is where all the introduction of new stats and tracking and everything else has sometimes led us astray, right? Like we we might have too much to work with, and so now we're we're, we're grabbing whatever looks meaningful, and sometimes it, it tells us less than it appears to. Um, but on you know on, on on something like that, 
how about just on an individual game though, Seth? Because there are times when you know, like ESPN stats and info will immediately pump out after a game. Um, you know, uh, you know, whatever. Kevin Durant, you know, was you know, you know, twelve of eighteen, but he was zero for six when Giannis was guarding him or something. Um, are are that's I'm pulling that. I'm just making that up. No. But it is. It, are, are stats like that in, in the course of an individual game? Is that meaningful at least? So if you're so th- this is this is a, g- a good way to make make the make a point is that um, assuming you're you're kind of you're you're capturing that correctly and like you know the shots when he's guarded by player there's actually that's sort of you can define that in a number of different ways that that like change so like uh, for example say uh, you know I'm guarding Kevin Durant on the perimeter he shoots a jump shot okay that was against me he drives by me and 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 tries to finish over the center. Do I still count as having guarded him and gotten beat, or is that you know assignable to the center? So if we do it, you know, if if we are capturing that stat in a way that's um, kind of better matches our understanding, I think of what we're talking about. If he beats me and gets to the rim, that's on me. Whatever happens on that shot is on me, not on you know my my backline defender. Um, so assuming we're doing that, like I think that tells us something about what has happened in the game and. You know that's that's a starting point for analysis. So yeah, yeah, he, like when Giannis guarded him, he, he he had three turnovers and and missed all his shots. Now, did he just miss shots, or did 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 Giannis do something? Well, let's watch and see, let's let's take a look and see. But it's something that that it did happen. Whether or not it is predictive of Giannis being able to shut him down the following game, that's that's the more interesting question. So um, you know. That's where determining whether it was he was 0 for 6 because of, not he just happened to be there. So, yes, I think those have use, but I think that it can be just stating that and leaving it and allowing it to imply that he shut, like player A shut player B down is sort of way, is, is only kind of finishing a, a third of the test, you know? Yeah. yeah. Um, I will say um, we have, I think, the collective we media and fans people who talk about the nba we've made a lot of progress in the sense that at Absolutely. least now in, in 2022 i was going to say 2021 i keep screwing this up it's, a, <laughs> it's really good we don't write checks anymore because i'd be i'm still in 2021 here we are in 2022 and i don't i cannot recall the last time and this used to happen much more on tv but you know in print too no one is ranking teams offense and defense based on points per game anymore like it took a while, Seth, but like people finally grasped that, you know, I- introducing pace and uh, you know putting everybody on the same scale and using offensive and defensive ratings, uh, you know, points per one hundred or points per possession, that's normal now. And ten years ago, people I think were still struggling with that, and you still saw the graphic go th- get thrown up on the broadcast of, you know, this team is in thirtieth in defense because of points per game allowed. And Seth is frozen. Dan, I'm back. Are you there? Whoops, you there. I'm back. Okay. Well, I um, I think I got the gist of your question. So if I can just just it, you were basically asking like, you know, we we've improved presentationally yes. essentially. Yeah. Well, no, just that the, the conversation is smarter now. We are no longer doing the thing where you you look up at the TV screen and they say here's the bottom five defenses in the NBA and it's oh the Hawks are thirtieth because of the points allowed per game no one is doing per game anymore everyone has finally adapted to per possession and 
So we're at least all have agreed on a smarter way to understand, if nothing else, how to rank teams offensively and defensively because we're using pace adjusted stats. I, I think you see that all over the place. Like, you, you know, there's, there's, uh, even when coaches talk, like they, they, they speak much more in kind of, uh, uh, like rates and percentages than they, than they did before. Like, you know, we're, we're, you know, we're, we're, we're allowing too many, uh, like a too high an offensive rebound rate, or we're not getting to the, we're, we're, we're turning, we turn the ball over on 20% of our possessions and that's unacceptable and stuff like that. You, there's just the vocabulary with which, uh, professionals in the game have talked about it has has evolved as these things become more familiar they sort of become less scary and just just an adapt adopted part of the of the lexicon uh, and and the thing that helps that is 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 you know frankly people from my end doing a better job of of making those things tangible in in basketball terms um, it's it's you know Dean Oliver who who kind of popularized the four factors of winning Dean is now a, a, a an assistant coach with the Wizards um he did he, I mean he did a, a great job of 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 really making the the stuff that he's looking at clear in basketball terms I mean it, it, so the four factors are effective field goal percentage basically shooting efficiency uh turnover percentage offensive rebound rate and free throw rate now going back to the first time you played basketball get shots Take care of the ball. Get good shots. Make them. Take care of the ball. Protect the backboard. Don't foul on defense. Like the, like that, that. That's basketball. That's all basketball is. And and so it's just this these this, this like fundamental building block of statistical analysis perfectly maps to kind of a a very traditional understanding of what's important in basketball. And that you know that's that's that makes it an easy sell because it's like we're talking about the same thing. And okay, fine. It has a percentage mark on it. Fine. It has two decimal places. Fine. I still know what we're talking about, and that and that's the kind of way that we make some progress here. Um, my personal one, I think you and I have discussed this before. Like, I, I want to banish field goal percentage, like not because uh, of anything in particular, but just because we are in such a three point era that a guy's overall field goal percentage now can be lower, but he can still be a great shooter because a great three point percentage is is forty. And that's considered a bad overall field goal percentage. And so if you take more threes than twos, so I don't know why we're even using it anymore. I feel like we should always just talk about your two-point percentage and your three-point percentage separately, even understanding that even two-point percentage often depends on where on the floor you're taking your twos from. I get that. And we can start getting classifying shots in terms of catch and shoot versus created off the dribble and you know, guarded. I know there's like a million other ways to make it even better. But at a minimum, why are we still even using field goal percentage and I know, like, effective field goal percentage is hard for people to get their head around. It combines twos and threes. True shooting percentage, which combines twos and threes and free throws. Um, and we're just used to field goal percentage. But it just feels like if we're if we're smart enough at this point to have adjusted everything else the way we think about the game, and it is such a three-point heavy era, we can't say this guy has a terrible field goal percentage because it's 40, 42, without accounting for the fact that this guy shoots a ton of threes and shoots them well. He's just not a very, you know, anyway, we, shouldn't we be banishing field goal percentage? Um, I, I think if we could go back and sort of do it again, I think we probably would have tried to talk in points in terms of like points per shot instead of effective field goal percentage. 
I think that's just again the 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 leap of what we're talking about. You know, it's 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 the same thing. It's just it's whether you express it as a as a percentage or a, a decimal. And I think that if we the fact that it's we, we you know I think we originally tried to put it on a familiar scale. You know, so okay, like I, it used to be fifty like you know fifty five percent field goal percentage was great. So now you add in three pointers and you have a fifty-five percent effective field goal percentage. Okay, I understand that's great. Except it's led to this confusion that you're talking about. And if we just said, well, he scores one point one points per shot and the league average is one point oh five, so, oh, that's better. Um, I think that would have, if if we had made that the standard, I think that would have been better. But I think that's a that's it, we're 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 too far past that bridge to sort of go back <laughs> and, and unwind unwind the decision. Also, it's just easy conversationally and, and just as humans, like, you know, 50%, you make half of your shots. That seems yeah. pretty good. It's, you know, and everybody understands in baseball, if you hit, you know, 300, whatever, yeah. I don't know if that's even still the thing. I don't follow baseball anymore. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. There's a lot happening these days, but I have just the thing to get you up to speed on what matters without taking too much of your time. The 7 from the Washington Post is a podcast that gives you the 7 most important and interesting stories, and we always try to save room for something fun. You get it all in about 7 minutes or less. I'm Hannah Jewell. I'll get you caught up with The 7 every weekday. So follow The 7 right now. Anyway, uh, all right, how about this? Uh, Getting back to the list. So three stats. We just talked about the three stats we shouldn't use. Three stats that we should use and in particular, maybe stats that most of us don't at present, or maybe these are better stats than the ones we're using. So three stats we should use. Um, so I think I'll, I'll combine two into one. When we're talking about an offensive player, uh, you know, we, we talk about shooting efficiency, certainly. And I think, you know, true shooting percentage, which in, incorporates both uh, three-pointers and free throws, um, is probably a, is, is a pretty good overall measure of a player's uh, efficiency, but we also should use that in tandem with usage, usage rate, um, which is a pretty, I mean, it's a fairly straightforward stat, like what proportion of a team's shots are you taking while you're on the floor? Um, you know, there's five players on the floor, so average is about 20. Um, it's actually a little less because shot clock violations aren't, don't, don't, <laughs> don't get, don't get assigned to it to any individual player, but says like the average is like 19.8 or something like that. So 20% is average. So you get a, you know, okay, a player who has a 15% usage, that's the guy who stands in the corner and, you know, and, and, and is a three and D guy, a player is a 20, 25% usage. That's like your secondary score. And a player with the 30 usage is, is, you know, it's, is, is, is one of the top stars or, is at least has the offensive role of a top star, or thinks he is. Yeah, thinks he is. Yeah, <laughs> is is perhaps a, a, using a term beloved of both of us is is, is a heliocentric star. Yes, um, great term. He, um, um, so using those in tandem lets you have a like a, a better understanding of of both a player's offensive role and their effectiveness in that role. So it's it, it is kind of hard to directly compare. Okay, this guy who does nothing. 
but shoot corner threes or this big man who's just a dive and dunk guy off the pick and roll. He's super efficient, but he takes basically no shots because he needs to be set up by a teammate. So the DeAndre just, Jordan effect. Yeah, yeah. The, I mean, it, you know, the, the the now maybe more Clint Capella or Jared Allen or something like that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that that type of player. And so to be able to understand that that player is different than a guy who might be a little less kind of efficient, but is doing it on twice the the shot attempts or or even three times the shot attempts. Like you know, comparing uh, you know that to a to you know Kevin Durant does where he's above league average efficiency on. You know, high th- mid thirties usage, and that's that 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 better illustrates kind of of you know the the greatness of the good players who not only are doing this efficiency the efficiently, but they're doing it lots. So I think that's th- those are those are two that I would I would primarily use. I think um, I do think that that um, it's it is fraught. But I do think looking at you know a, the the on-off differential for a player is his team. Now this is this this doesn't really work with low-minute guys, but for like main rotation guys, you know, is the team better with him on the floor? You have to be careful about that because you, you again, like we said earlier about stats, you shouldn't use. You have to be aware that you're not necessarily saying it's because of. Although in certain cases, you know, uh, the. the 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 Nuggets are some ridiculous amount better with Jokic on the floor than with him than him off this year. Um, I think at this point, you know, given everything we know, we can there, there's Jokic is why they're better with him on the floor than than, than off. But you have to but without jumping immediately to that conclusion, that does give you a, a sense of at least a first pass sense of who is not just putting up numbers, but who is effective essentially. Um, and that, you know, if, if we if we don't have all the time in the world to go in deeper study, like those kind of things can help you understand sort of how how it's working, how how a team or player is is functioning, um, if if that makes sense. All right. So before we leave this particular topic, I just want to go back to true shooting percentage for a yeah. second because true shooting and effective field goal percentage, as I say, they're obviously better ways of of ranking players' efficiency. Um, I think the the problem that a lot of people still have is, well, I know what a good field goal percentage seemed like in the past, or I know what a good three-point percentage is. I don't know what a good true shooting percentage is or a good effective field goal percentage is. So just for the listeners, what is a what is the baseline for like what a good or great um, efficiency numbers when you're using true shooting percentage sure. or, or effective. Um, in, in kind of this era, that like the pace and space era, which I mean, maybe go back to 2013, 14. Um, you know, effective field goal percentage league average is 52, 53 percent, and true shooting is 55, 56 percent. So using, excuse me, using those as sort of the the, the baselines, it's like okay, you know. If a guy's got a 50% effective field goal percentage, that's okay, but slightly below average. If he's got 60%, he's, you know, massively efficient and uh, and doing something really well. Um, but that, that frankly, that gets back to something we talked about earlier, which is the um, the importance of, of, of analytics as a discipline being contextual. A 60% effective field goal percentage today is a very different thing than it would have been 20 years ago in a, in a lower offense environment. Yeah. Um, you know, 
like it, Reggie Miller had some seasons above of above sixty true like uh, sixty true shooting. I think when no like no perimeter players were doing that because of of you know how just how hard hard it was to score in 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 both that in like kind of the the rule and strategic environment. So while what's good today might not have been good yesterday, um, or might have been very good yesterday. This in this era, like fifty three and fifty six, are 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 or or fifty two, fifty three, and and, and fifty five or fifty six are kind of where the, the 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 averages sort of have settled over the last six, seven, eight years. So in in both of these questions, the three stats we should use, three stats we should banish. Uh, we never spoke, uh, or you, you never invoked any of the all in one stats. So I feel like I should at least throw this out there. Like, is there like the all-in-one stats? I know they're all problematic to a certain extent, and I'm not uh, bringing you in here to, to bash your athletic colleague John Hollinger for PER. Um, but uh, PER st- people still reference it a lot. Uh, we have wins, shares, wins produced, and bucks plus minus, and all this stuff. Are any of the, if there's one of those that you feel like is actually pretty uh, decent representation? Is there is there one you like? Oh, um, so this is there's a there's there's a you know an aphorism in statistics that that the all, all that all models are wrong, but some models are useful, um, and that's you know all of these all in one stats are not capturing all of basketball, but they're trying to reduce the complexity so that you can do some quick comparisons. Um, and on that level, like even PER, which you know, uh, I you with the data and the, the technology that that was available at the time that John created it. It was a, it was a huge innovation. And a large part of, of why it's, it's more frowned upon now is that people have built upon it using, you know, better statistical tools and better un- underlying data to, to get at the same question, um, you know, more exactly. But it's still, I mean, frankly, it has some use. Um, you know, maybe it doesn't work so well complaining, comparing players to each other, but certainly, if you want a quick and dirty look at a player's the progression of a player's career, you can do a lot worse than open up their basketball reference page and it's like, okay, he had a 13, 15, 17, 20, 20, 20, 20, 19, 17, 9. As like his the, the, the PER of his career. That I think that that does a pretty that would do a pretty good job of of you know illustrating the arc of that player's career. So even that has has some some usage. Um in terms of ones that I like, um, there are. I think that I tend to like the the sort of the the impact metrics, which are you know it's a it's a model that looks at who's on the floor and tries to estimate you know the contributions. It's essentially taking like the on off differential that we just talked about and explicitly controlling for who you're playing with, who you're playing against. Um, and like kind of the, the basic version of that is called regularized adjusted plus minus. Um, that there, there's a, there's a couple versions of that available at a website called nbashotcharts.com. I like that. Um, I think for people who um, are kind of less willing to dig under the hood or less able to, um, there are a number of, of kind of improve, uh, improvements on that that give a good, pretty good sense of. Of of who's really been the most effective player this year? Um, I think the best one right now is called Estimated Plus Minus. It's created by uh, Taylor Snar, who was a uh, was an analyst for the Jazz for a number of seasons, and he's sort of uh, built on a on a plus minus model with some some other info, so that um, 
you know, the best players tend to show up on top and, and the, the worst players on the, on the bottom with sort of more regularity than they might do in, a, in other models. And that's available at a website called dunksandthrees.com. Um, and that's, I, I think that's sort of as a quick single number look at who has been effective and who has not over a given season. I think that's probably the best we have right now. That's the one that's that it's a uh, uh, acronym is EPM, right? Or is EPM, this, yes, right. EPM. So folks, yeah, it's a very alphabet that's... soup. It's a very like, but there's, I mean, there's tons of ones that are they're pretty good. Like you know, they all have, uh, they all have sort of fun. Uh, you know, there's there's one called uh, Darko uh, that that is that's, that's created that that you know for obvious reasons. There's another called LeBron. Both of them are you know these are these are pretty good metrics that kind of get you to similar spots and and they all have. They all have kind of things that they miss and things that they capture well, um, but it's sort of just just pick one and stick with it. And and what you shouldn't do is do is do the kind of the, the metric shopping that like I like this player. <laughs> Which of these is he the best in? That's the one that matters. Just it, it, it kind of doesn't really matter which one you pick. Just stick with it. Yeah, uh, people would never do that. They would. No. They would- they would they would never go uh, stat shopping to build the case for their guy for MVP. Um, all right, we got I got to get you out of here, but um, there was one other one I wanted to hit, and it was because there's a mention in your book again the mid range theory, which everybody should buy. A mention of this stat, which I thought was really interesting, that a team down ten points, uh, maybe it's ten or more, with six minutes to go, basically will lose. Uh, or will only win one out of 20 games. So they'll lose 95% of the time. And this is a really interesting thing. Daryl Morey had mentioned something to me about this like years ago when I first met him. Like, people don't realize it, but... And there were a couple of these little things, these kind of like cheats, like um, that I don't think we understand in real time, but that are easily quantified. Um, But that's fascinating because if you're watching your team, if you know your team's down 10 with six minutes to go... If you're a fan, you're you're obviously eternal hope, and you're going to leave the TV on and whatever. But probably your team's going to lose, and all the fouling and everything. Else, this leads to why you like the Elam ending, which we don't need to get into now. But um, it's like that's. Are there any other little statistical truths like that that fans should know about? Uh, one of my favorite, and this is something that that it's it's hard to research from public data, so you have to a little bit you have to take my word for it from when I when I could look at this with sort of team side data is that um, it's not playing like high playing at a high pace isn't necessarily good, but what is good is getting into your offense early. So however you want to decide, define getting into an offense. And, you know, we, we've all seen plays at the end of the game where a guy is just dribbling the ball at the top of the floor for, and then, oh, six seconds on the shot clock, I better go shoot. Um, every second earlier you, a team gets into their offense is worth about a point of offensive rating. So if, essentially that means it just by, you know, just by giving my, our team that one extra second every possession to look for a good shot, you know, over the course of a game, that's gonna, it's gonna, that on its own is gonna be worth a point. Um, so that's that's just in terms of paying attention to sort of whether not necessarily if they're sprinting the ball up the floor and taking a bad shot with sixteen on the clock, but are they doing something with sixteen on the clock? Are 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 is the first like set of picks and cuts and stuff happening early, or is it? Are you getting down to you know twelve, eleven, ten seconds before anything happens? Um, I think that's that's something that I that I think. Uh, 
uh, fans can really look look at it and understand. And, and you know, frankly, getting into offense early is more aesthetically pleasing anyway. Because yes. who who likes to watch the guy at the top of the floor, you know, bouncing the ball for? Um, the other one is related to the the first one. The end is is how over twenty plus years of NBA play, how low percentage kind of game winning game tying shots are at the end of games. Like people. You know, oh, he's a he's a, he's a goat. He you know he missed a he missed at the buzzer again. The league average on those shots, depending on how you measure time and like the time and score and stuff like that, league average is high twenties, low thirties percentage on those. So you know, and there's and and there's been there's very little evidence that there's any player who gets to take a lot of those shots who's persistently much better or worse than. Than other players, it's like as as players start to like take enough of these shots, everyone starts to converge right around like you know that that line at like thirty one percent, with you know maybe one or two exceptions. So like Dirk is maybe an exception, and and for a, 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 the, the sort of the prime of his career, Carmelo was an exception. So maybe there's something about their games, you know, their their sort of. Uh, the, the, the mid-range self-creation heavy version of their games, maybe it just means that those are the shots you get at the end of the game. So since those are the shots these guys take anyway, they're better at them. Um, maybe there's something to that, or maybe that's just kind of randomness that's coming out with a convenient outcome. But I think that's that like, you know, the buzzer beater should be celebrated because it doesn't happen that much. Yeah. It's, uh, it's hard for a reason. It's fun for a reason. Um, we don't need uh, uh, deep stats necessarily to tell us that part. Uh, but if you want to learn more about uh, all that and more, uh, the book, again, is The Midrange Theory by Seth Partnow. You can also, of course, check out all his work at The Athletic. Seth, uh, this has been a blast. I could uh, pepper you with other annoying stat questions for the next couple hours, but uh, i got to get you out of here. Thanks for the time and uh, phenomenal book. Thank you so much. Thanks for, thanks for having me. Always, always great to chat. Okay, that's it for today's show. My thanks again to Seth Partnow for joining me. Thanks to our producers, Dan Bloom and Shelby Royston. Thank you all for listening. Remember, you can hear Chris Mannix and me every Tuesday on The Crossover with all the latest NBA chatter. And then on Fridays, it's me and a guest. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to The Crossover wherever you get your podcasts. Go subscribe to the Sports Illustrated Podcasts channel on YouTube and hit me with all your feedback on Twitter at Howard Beck. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. 
Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details.